in 2006, U.S. military leadership made a decision to establish a military base in the remote area called Niristan, an untamed, isolated Afghan province on the border with Pakistan. This area was home to a very distinct ethnic group, and this ethnic group was very suspicious of outsiders. The base was surrounded by mountains. It was there in the Hindu Kush mountain range. And it was very vulnerable to attack from the beginning. Insurgents sniped and launched rockets and ambushed supply convoys and sabotaged aid projects. In October 2009, three years into the mission, hundreds of insurgents launched a coordinated attack. And the 50 U.S. defenders in this remote, lonely military outpost fought heroically and prevailed. They were not overrun by the enemy. Outposts are important. Military outposts represent the the nation for whom they serve. Military outposts stand against attack and and keep the, the military from being overrun by the enemy. Well, this morning I want to make the case that our homes are to be outposts for the kingdom of God. Our homes are to represent the king and his kingdom. Our homes are meant, designed by God to withstand the attacks of a decaying culture. And I believe one of the reasons we are seeing things change so quickly around us is because Christian homes have not been kingdom outposts. We are not withstanding the onslaught. We are not representing the king where he has placed us. And if we're going to be a church that expands God's kingdom across the street and around the world, our homes have to be kingdom homes. Our families must be kingdom homes families. Now I want you to see this in God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Now if you have been coming on Wednesday nights to my Bible study, you're very familiar with Psalm 145, but I want to redirect us or direct us again to that passage. Psalm 145 verse 10. I'd like to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word which is truth with no mixture of error. Psalm 145, verse 10. The Bible says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your what? Kingdom. And tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now watch this. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. Not only does God want us to recognize Jesus as king, God wants our children's children and children's children's children to to recognize Jesus as king. He wants our offspring to recognize him as king. Why? Because the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Let's pray together this morning. 
Father, you are great and glorious, and we are grateful for this time to gather as a faith family. We just ask that you would draw near to us in these moments, that you would open the eyes of our hearts by your Spirit, help us to understand what we are, are reading and studying. And God, give us the wherewithal, the desire, the passion even, Lord, to adjust our lives to the truth of your word, that we might live in a way that your name is glorified in and through our lives, in and through our church, in and through our families. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. We love you today. We honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Psalm 145 is clear. God is is building a kingdom, and he wants us to recognize that kingdom. He wants our children to recognize that kingdom. He wants our children's children to recognize that kingdom. Now, last week, I shared with you a, a summary of the entire Bible, and I believe it's a summary of what God is doing in human history. It's written by a professor that I had in seminary named Kendall Easley, and here's the statement. Here's what God's doing in the world. Here's what the Bible's all about. The Lord God, through his Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. Let's say it together. The Lord God, through his Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. That's what the Bible's about. That's what God is up to. He is building a kingdom of redeemed people so that he gets the glory he so richly deserves. Which leads me to make this statement. If that's what God's up to, that's what I want to be up to. If that's God's agenda, I want that to be my agenda. And I want that to be the agenda of our church, that we are on the same page as God. So that's why we have this vision statement. Our vision is to expand God's kingdom across the street and what? Around the world. That's our vision statement because that's what God's up to. We want to be a part of what he is doing. And our vision has four components. That's what this sermon series, The King and His Kingdom, is all about. Last week I shared with you the importance of kingdom citizenship. Our job is to share the gospel so folks who are in the kingdom of darkness can be called out of the darkness into His marvelous light and enter the kingdom of God, be citizens of the kingdom of God. Today we're going to talk about kingdom families. Next week we're going to talk about kingdom connections, how God wants kingdom citizens to connect with each other so we can challenge each other to grow in our faith. And then the next week, we're going to study kingdom advance, how we get the message of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news to the very ends of the earth. And then the final week, we're we're going to talk about what's central to all of it, Jesus Christ, the king, his kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to share that in the final week of this series. And on October uh, 18th, I'm going to share with you the, the new logo that we have had designed and gone through this process. And the logo ties into this sermon series, the four kingdom components and what's central to it all. So I can't wait to share the logo with you so you can see that and uh, it'll help us to understand better who we are and, and be able to, to move forward with clarity as a family of faith. So let's talk this morning about kingdom families, the, the second component of our kingdom vision to expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. And just very simply this morning, I have four principles that will help us to build kingdom families. Four principles to build kingdom families. Now, you know, it's my uh, usual um, uh, 
way of preaching to take one passage of Scripture and, and kind of break it down and stay in that passage. But today we're going to be in different places in the Bible for this sermon series. Just get ready to turn a little bit uh, as we see all that God has to say about kingdom families. But here's the first principle to build kingdom families. We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the basics. I've read that Vince Lombardi, the great football coach of the Green Bay Packers, would start the first practice of the year with his team, and he would sit them all down, and he'd pick up a football and say, Men, this is a football. And he would start with the basics, the fundamentals of football, because he understood that if his team didn't get the foundations, if they didn't get the basics, they would not be an effective football team. And it's the same when it comes to family. If we're going to be kingdom families, kingdom outposts, then we've got to understand the foundations of the home. And to to get this, we want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, where we see these foundations emerge in God's Word. And and I've got four four thoughts about the basics I want to give you. Here's the first one. It's really simple, but very profound and important. God created males and females wonderfully different that they might complement one another. God created males and females wonderfully different that they might complement one another. You say, wait, that, that should go without saying. Well, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, some people in our culture would vehemently disagree with what I just said. That God made men and women wonderfully different so that they might complement one another. But it's in God's Word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27... The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God, in his sovereignty, designed humanity to to, to consist of males and females, men and women. And he made men and women wonderfully different. So they might complement each other. As the Bible unfolds, we see the different ways that men and women complement each other and, and, and fulfill God's calling in their lives. And so gender is a God thing. God's the one that designed gender. God's the one that designed the differences between male and female. And God doesn't make mistakes. We need to honor the design of the designer. We need to honor the design of the creator and celebrate the differences between men and women, boys and girls. Our youngest child, Connor, just turned one. And the next oldest sibling is Abby Faith, and she's uh, four, about to be five. And so there are a lot of girl toys that are within the vicinity of where Connor plays. So we notice that Connor's going in to, to play with some of the girl toys. And Claire and I said, we need to get that boy some boy toys. And so Claire, she went and got some little trucks out and fire trucks. And it's good to see Connor playing with fire trucks and playing with trucks. She said, Wade, you're making too big of a deal out of that. Well, say what you want to, but I want to make sure that my children understand God makes boys and girls different. It may not matter to Target and the way they label toys, but it matters in the Humphreys house. There are boy toys and there are girl toys. And we want boys playing with boy toys and girls playing with girl toys. Wait, why do you have to say this? Because our culture is upside down right now. And we're missing the basics. Even something as basic as this, we're missing it. And so we've got to, we've got to get back to the truth, the foundation of how God designed things. Listen, if God made you a boy, be a boy. 
God made you a girl. Be a girl. God loves you, and he designed you that way for a reason. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. The creator does not make mistakes. He knows what he's doing, and he made you a certain way. So God created males and females wonderfully different that they might complement one another. Here's the second foundational principle as we get back to the basics. God gave us the institution of marriage to be the foundation of the family. Over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then God creates Eve. Now it's interesting to note as you read through the first two chapters of the account of creation, God surveys what he has made and he sees that it is good. Everything he sees that he's made, it's good, it's good, it's good. The first time something is pronounced not good is here in this, in this verse. Where God says it's not good that this man should be alone. And so God remedies that. And he creates Eve to be his helpmate, to be a complement to him so they can enjoy relational intimacy with one another and grow together and serve God together. And so God is the one who came up with marriage. Here's what I like to say. Marriage is a good idea because it's a God idea. It wasn't invented by the Supreme Court. It wasn't invented by any man. God's the one that, that created marriage. So what is marriage? Well, that's the next foundation. If you look there in your notes, marriage is the lifelong covenant union of one man and one woman. The designer designed that. And look what it says in Genesis 2. Verse 24, this is after the very first wedding ceremony where God brings Adam and Eve together. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is God's design for marriage. One man, one woman coming together in covenant union until death alone should part them. And I'm telling you, it's high time that Christians, that folks that believe the Bible, Draw a line in the sand and say, this is what the Bible says. We will stand for biblical marriage the way God designed it, and we will not back down. Because that's how God made it to work. And that's the foundation of the family, marriage, man and woman, male and female coming together in covenant union. But here's the next principle related to the family. God expects husbands and wives to be fruitful and multiply. Now notice this next phrase, contingent upon his will, of course, as all things are, through biological means or adoption. Look over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, as God gives instructions to the first man and woman. It says, and God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God expects, God has designed that, that a husband and wife multiply, that they have children. This happens in, in one of two ways. They can have children biologically or perhaps through adoption or even both. And those are both biblical ways that families can grow and have offspring given to them by God. Now notice the little phrase there, contingent upon his will, because I'm acutely aware that I'm talking to people this morning that may be struggling with infertility. I've, I've walked with this through some family members that are very close to me that have struggled with infertility. So I understand 
I understand that 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 could be the case with someone in this room this morning. And and all I can say is God has a plan and you you trust Him and place it in His hands. But we understand that that the growth of our family through children is, is contingent upon His will, right? But generally speaking, God desires to fill the earth as husbands and wives multiply biologically or through adoption. And you know what that's called? That's called the family. That's what the family is all about. That, those are the biblical foundations of the family. So, we need to get back to the basics. This is a football, right? We need to get back to the basics and just say, here's what the Bible says. But here's a second principle to build kingdom families. Understand what the family consists of. Go back to God's word. But secondly, we need a foundation of truth. A foundation of truth. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a powerful passage where God teaches his people, the Hebrew people, how to live in a way that honors him and pass on truth to the next generation. And before we read in Deuteronomy 6 verse 1, I want to give you this statement. It's found in your notes. The family is designed by God to be an incubator that produces faithful followers of Christ. You know what an incubator is? An incubator is an enclosed apparatus that provides a controlled environment for the care and protection of premature or unusually small babies. And in that controlled environment, the the baby can, can grow and mature. I think that's a great description of the home. The home is a controlled setting where we teach our children the things they need to be taught so they can grow and mature. Socially, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, and most importantly, spiritually. The home's an incubator. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. Watch this. You and your son and your son's son. God wants you to fear him. He wants your children to fear him. He wants your children's children to fear him. Amen? It's very clear. And look what it says next. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Look what it says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel. This is called the Shema, statement of faith. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, watch this, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's plan to get truth to the next generation. You make sure that the Word of God is front and center in your home. That's how you do it. You talk about God's Word when you're sitting down. For my family, when we have a family dinner together, we'll eat and then I'll pull out the Bible, we'll read a passage, we'll talk about it, we'll pray together, and the next day I'll read the next passage. We're going through Gospel of John right now. We're, we're working our way through God's Word together. And, and, and the Word... We desire the Word to be front and center in our home. And it's not just formal 
times when you're around your table or, or you know, maybe in your living room having family worship. The Bible here says when you're on your way, when you're in your minivan going to soccer practice, talk about the Word of God. Talk about the truth of God. Make sure that, that the Word of God is front and center in your home. That is God's plan to pass on truth to multiple generations. And so the family is designed by God to be this incubator, this controlled environment where your kids are learning the truth of the Bible. But there's the second thing as we think about a foundation of truth, and this is so important. The family provides the opportunity to learn and practice the Christian faith. Do you know that? Not only is a family a place where you learn truth, it's a laboratory where you practice truth. What better way to practice granting and, and extending forgiveness than among siblings, right? What better way to deal with your selfishness than among siblings? You learn God's word and you put it into practice in the relationships in the home. That's God's intention. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us, watch this, to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So when your children come and say, hey, why are we learning all this stuff? Why do we study God's word in our home? Why do we talk about the Bible all the time? Because God wants you to learn it in your head and heart so that you might do it. And notice he says here, the doing is for your good. When you obey God's word, it is for your ultimate good. God's commandments are not burdensome. They set us free. And we teach our kids, this is God's word, and now I want to see you put it into practice. And in those relationships in the home, we have the opportunity to begin to live out God's word. So make sure that not only are you getting back to the basics of what a family is, but make sure that you also have this foundation of truth. You're building this foundation of truth in your home, which brings me to the third principle. And this is critical. We need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. We're kingdom outposts withstanding the attacks of the enemy against our, our children and our church family and against our culture. We've got to be on guard. Now, there's two things here. Number one, we need to protect our families from immoral influence. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No unforgiven sinner goes to heaven. You must be forgiven. And your sin that's not forgiven will send you to hell. That's what he's saying. He says next, 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Look in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So Paul, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to Christians, now that you're Christians, act like it and don't let unchristian influence creep into your life and into your family. As a matter of fact, the context here is, is we're about to see the family conversation starting in verse 22. So right before he talks about family, he talks about saints living as children of light, light not immersing themselves in the darkness. So we need to protect our families from immoral influence. I read this quote from Albert Moeller last week, and it really gripped my heart. Here's what he said. When you consume a culture's entertainment, you eventually consume its morality. You see, it should really be no surprise that we are where we are in our country today. We ought not to be surprised. You know why we shouldn't be surprised? Because the things that are happening right now are things we've been laughing about on sitcoms for decades. You know what I'm talking about. If there is a show with a dad, he's a buffoon that's not worthy of respect. And the cool characters, the engaging, funny, cool characters are those that are living immoral lives. And we watch and we consume and we laugh. We've been consuming, even in the church, we've been consuming the culture's entertainment. Should it be any surprise that we are now consuming the culture's morality? Should it be a surprise that we are where we are in our culture? If we are going to be kingdom families, if we are going to be kingdom outposts, then then parents must take the lead in protecting their families from immoral influence. Things that shouldn't even be talked about, we laugh about, and view, and ingest. And we must say, we've got to protect the hearts and minds of our kids. And say enough is enough. And this is a much longer conversation. We've got some resources in, in the PATH family initiative that we, we like to give you and, and to help you and encourage you and have these kinds of conversations. But we want you to know that this is a big deal. A big deal. Now, I don't have all the answers today. But, but we need to go to the next level in protecting our kids from the immoral garbage in our culture. And again, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know. This may make some of you mad, but that's okay, because you know I love you. Handing your teenager a phone or a tablet that gives them unlimited access to the internet without any accountability is a recipe for disaster. It is. It's a recipe for disaster. Because here's the deal. Your kids don't even have to go looking for bad stuff. It will come looking for them. Our culture is very savvy at getting things into your kid's life that will destroy them and lead them astray. And at, listen, I don't have the answers, but we, get, we need to say, maybe we need to rethink this whole thing. Maybe we need to start putting limits and filters and accountability, and, and we, need to, we need to take steps to make sure that our kids are not in that, that, that position, that vulnerable position of just being inundated with filth. And so... Parents, grandparents, 
aunts, uncles, whatever influence you have in this culture, in your, in your family, we must be on guard. You think those 50 soldiers at this outpost in the Hindu Kush mountains on the border of Pakistan, you think they were on guard? You think they were on alert? Absolutely. They knew the enemy was lurking. They knew attack was coming. They were vigilant. I think in the American family, I think in the church family, we have lost our vigilance. Listen to me. If you're not protecting your kids from the filth, who is? Who is? It's your role. It's your job. And teenagers, you may say, Wade, you shouldn't be saying it to my parents. They may take my phone away from me or do something to it or whatever. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look, listen to me, teenager. 20 years from now, you'll come and thank me. And you'll thank your parents. They took steps. Because it is this critical. It's this critical. So we've got to protect our families from immoral influence. Secondly, we need to protect our families from false worldviews. Ways of thinking that are in error. A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life in the world. And it is our job to teach our children to think biblically, to evaluate life, right or wrong, morality, decision-making through the lens of Scripture. So we're making wise, God-honoring decisions and not buying into the lies of this world. Over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. And then it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conform means to be pushed into a mold. And hear me, this culture is diligently trying to push our children into a mold in what they believe, the way they think, the way they evaluate life. And they're trying to get into their hearts these false worldviews that are empty and vain and will eventually destroy our kids. So instead of letting our kids being letting our kids be pushed into a mold, we've got to teach them the word so they can be transformed by the renewing of their mind. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and does a mind renewal process in our lives and in our kids. So it's our job to teach them a Christian worldview, a a biblical way of thinking. There are all sorts of false worldviews out there. One that is predominant in our culture that is really carrying today is the worldview of secular humanism. Secular humanism says, listen, nature is all that there is. There's no such thing as the supernatural, no such thing as God. It's all about us, all about humanity, and, and we're just kind of here uh, through random means. It's all an accident. It's all a, a kind of a cosmic accent that there are people here called humans. It's all about evolution and, 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 and natural means that nature is all that there is. And because of that, we're not going to live with any, with any thought of the supernatural and any thought of God. We're going to live for humanity and do what we want to do. And the world revolves around us. That's the, that's the, the, the mindset, the worldview of secular humanism. And because that worldview is carrying the day... It should not surprise us, listen to me, that there are mass shootings happening every week now. Because we've been teaching generations now that life has no meaning or value. No reason people think, don't think twice 
about walking in somewhere and shooting people and killing them. Because we've been teaching life is an accident. Secular humanism, it has no worth. But the Bible tells a different story, doesn't it? The Bible says that we are knit together in our mother's womb by God himself. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And so because of that, every life from the moment of conception has dignity and worth and value. Because secular humanism has carried the day, it shouldn't surprise us that there are groups like Planned Parenthood that are abortion mills and are selling parts of babies for profit. You know where that comes from? It comes from secular humanism. And that worldview is predominant in our land today. And it is our job as families to say that is falsehood. That is a a worldview, a way of thinking from the pits of hell. We need to teach our children to think biblically, to evaluate decisions, life, Right or wrong, ethics, morality, biblically. We've got to do that. We've got to do that. Dale Tackett writes this. Here's the big problem. Non-biblical worldview ideas don't just sit in a book somewhere waiting for people to examine them. They bombard us constantly from television, film, music, newspapers, magazines, books, and academia. Because we live in a selfish, fallen world, these ideas seductively appeal to the desires of our flesh, and we often end up incorporating them into our personal worldview. Sadly, we often do this without even knowing it. If you are not intentional as a parent, your children will be pressed into the mold of secular humanism and sexual libertarianism and all these things that are carrying the day in our culture. Moral relativism, and I could go on and on with all the false worldviews out there. And so we've got to protect our kids from the filth out there, the, the, the immoral influence. We've also got to protect our kids from false worldviews, help them to think biblically. And here's the fourth principle, and I'll close down with this. What are the principles to build kingdom families that are kingdom outposts? Number one, we've got to get back to the basics, understand what a family is, the way God designed it. Number two, we need a foundation of truth. Number three, we need to be on guard. Number four, we need to let our light shine. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we are called to be light. And I want you to understand, in just a few verses, he's going to talk about the family. And the family is called to be light. As a matter of fact, God has designed your family to shine. He's designed your family to shine. So wait, how can I shine as a family? How can, I, how can I proclaim to this decaying culture, this lost and dying world, that Jesus makes a difference? Well, there are two things. Number one, you need to understand that marriage is a picture of the gospel. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... 
So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What's the husband's role? Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see it there? Marriage between a man and a woman who are fulfilling their God-given roles is meant to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. Isn't that beautiful? Listen to me. Your marriage is meant to be a message. Your marriage is meant to be not a perfect, but a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people see a healthy marriage built upon the the biblical principles from God's word, they are seeing a picture of Christ loving his church and his church responding to him with beautiful submission and surrender. Your marriage has the opportunity to preach a message. Your marriage is designed to shine. You might say, Wade, my marriage isn't shining, to be honest with you. We're having a hard time just kind of making it day to day. Well, I got some good news for you. We got some things to help you. We've got a a process here we call marriage mentoring. And it's, it's, it's such a wonderful process. We have couples in our church that are trained to meet with another couple once a week for 10 weeks. And in the context of that, that weekly meeting, you're walking through some biblical principles together, but you're not just learning some biblical truths, you're learning with, a, with some folks that care about you and are praying with you and encouraging you along the way. And so you say, wait, I have some marriage issues, or maybe my marriage just needs some maintenance. We got some folks that, that have been trained, that care about you, that are... That are that, that love the Lord Jesus and would love to just walk with you for 10 weeks. So wait, I'm interested. Well, in the lobbies, we have some information about marriage mentoring, or you can call the church office. We'll get you that information. You can get signed up. We'll, we'll link you up with a couple, and you can get the ball rolling. You say, wait, that's quite a commitment. 10 weeks, once a week. I mean, things are busy. That, that's a huge commitment. Your marriage is worth it. Your marriage is worth it. And, and it's worth it that your marriage starts preaching a message. Amen? Not just, hey, we're trying to make it, but hey, we're thriving, we love each other, we're fulfilling God's roles that he's given us in his word, and when you look at our marriage, you see that Jesus makes a difference, and you see a reflection of the reality that Jesus loves his church. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, and if we're going to be a a kingdom-expanding church, we've got to place a high priority on marriage. Secondly, God designed your children to let their light shine. Let me say it like this. Children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. Turn over to Psalm 127. Now I want you to know every passage I'm I'm leading you to, I could preach an entire sermon just about this passage, but we're going quickly because I want to just hit all the high points. But look what it says in Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The Bible's clear. God wants your children to be arrows. Your job as parents is to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they might grow and mature Socially, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, most of all spiritually. That their heart might be cultivated for the seed of the gospel. 
And then that might, they might meet Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So you raise them, and then when they become followers of Christ, you disciple them. You teach them to mature your home as an incubator to help them to grow up. And then there's coming a time when God's ready to fulfill his plan and purpose for their life, and you shoot them out into the world. You launch them into the world to go make a difference. They're arrows. Those are offensive weapons meant to, to take the fight to the enemy. And if we will raise and disciple and launch our kids, they can go out into the world and make a difference. You say, wait, that's daunting. Where do I start? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have a family ministry initiative here called The Path. And, and here's why I'm emphasizing this right now. When you see a path announcement in the bulletin or see it on the screen or hear one of our staff members talk about it, don't just blow it off. Sign up, get involved. Because we've identified seven waypoints starting at birth, going through high school graduation that are key in the spiritual journey of your children. And we've got some things we want to share with you to equip you, to encourage you, some ceremonies, some seminars that you can incorporate in your family that will help you to be intentional about raising, discipling, and launching your kids. Our staff works really hard at the PATH initiative. So just avail yourself, be involved, get involved, and and be a part of that because it will be a a great encouragement to you as you shoot your children out into the world as arrows to make a difference. So here's what I'm saying. Marriage, parenting, is all designed to let your light shine. That's what it's about. It's about the glory of God. It's about the truth of God. It's about the purposes and plan of God in our culture. And so here's what I want to do to just sum it up. Here's the point of it all. This fits into our kingdom vision. We envision our homes being kingdom outposts that shine brightly for Jesus in our community. If we're going to be a kingdom expanding church, then our homes must be kingdom outposts that shine brightly for Jesus in our community. Listen to me. Let's stop just trying to make it to the weekend. Let's let our light shine. And show a lost and dying world the difference that Jesus makes in a person, in a marriage, in parenting, in a church. Jesus really does make a difference.